Hello, welcome to Cropcast, a series of monthly podcasts covering topical issues throughout the season. We will also bring you some of the latest research from experts. My name is Tiffany McTaggart, and this week we are going to be discussing grain marketing. I am delighted to welcome two extremely knowledgeable speakers today. Julian Bell, a Principal Consultant with SAC Consulting, and James Bolsworth, Managing Director of CRM Commodities. Welcome, Julian and James. Julian, do you want to begin by saying a bit about yourself? Hi, Tiffany. Julian Bell, Principal Business Consultant, SEC Consulting. And I cover zero markets, business planning for arable farmers and the economics of cropping. Great. And James, could you introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Well, thank you very much for inviting me onto the podcast. Um, my name is James Bellsworth, uh, founder and managing director of CRM Agri Commodities. Uh, we are an independent grain marketing uh, service provider, uh, providing market intelligence and uh, strategic advice to farmers around the UK. Great. Well, thank you both for being here today. Having seen wheat prices rise and wheat contract highs of £360 per tonne, can you please start by giving us an overview of the international grain market, James? Of course. So we obviously are looking at prices now a long way off the, the £360 a tonne levels, which we reached back in May. Uh, currently, we're trading at around £270 a tonne on the November wheat futures contract. Um, uh, now, uh, just to sort of break down the market a little bit, there's two major elements. The first is the sort of fundamental supply and demand side of the market. And then you've got the more macroeconomic side of the market. Um, so to start with the, the fundamentals, um, we were looking at markets which were very, very tight pre-conflict. Um, uh, and suddenly we started to see uh, two major producing and exporting regions at war with one another. And, uh, and the restrictions on supply and exports, which that brought about, and that really added fuel to the fire. Um, and uh, you know, along, the, along the way, we've seen various weather issues. We've seen deteriorating wheat conditions in both the US and, of course, uh, Europe as well with very dry weather, which we've seen. Um, uh, and along the way, what we saw was the wheat uh, price relative to corn, both of which compete with one another into feed rations. Uh, that spread between the two prices got very, very wide to an unsustainable level. Um, uh, and uh, on the macro side, um, uh, what we saw was as this was all unfolding, inflation was being driven higher. One of the factors of that was the agricultural commodity markets as well as wider commodity markets. Um, and in order to hedge that risk, um, uh, what investors and hedge funds were doing was buying agricultural commodities like wheat and corn and soybeans in order to uh, hedge that inflation risk and therefore adding more fuel to the fire. Um, we, we then got to a level back in May where uh, things started to look extremely expensive. Uh, buyers took a step back from the market. And at the same point, we obviously started to hear about these looming recession risks around the world. And that made investors very, very nervous. And so in the space of a few weeks, they sold the large proportion of those positions which they held in agricultural commodity markets, which um, added to the very strong pressure which we've seen uh, at a time when Northern Hemisphere harvest was beginning. And uh, and that's where we really started to see this sell-off um, and, and prices being driven lower. Um, Julian, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that. I think just one thing really is, is more about the dynamics of the market. So the high 
green prices are having an impact on both the buyer, as James has mentioned, so curtailing demand to certain extents in certain types of market, and also increasingly an impact on the farmer, not just obviously the ability to sell at various prices, but also the decision-making of individual farmers around the world and and you know what area they devote to various crops. Um, so that is a very dynamic um, interaction, and it will, over time, uh, lead to a balance of the market. Um, I, I think at this point, which we're going to follow a bit further, is that, of course, the weather is is absolutely key to the sort of shorter term fluctuations and we're at a very critical point so i think we'll probably look into that a bit later on you've mentioned the weather um how's the weather been having an impact well clearly globally uh there are a range of things going on um i think if we look at the the crop part of the crop cycle then i think we get a slightly Different view in Scotland, particularly, is what's going on because our harvest is actually pretty late for winter crops. So we are only just starting our winter cereals here. As you go south, there's actually a lot more being harvested. And James may actually have more uh, information about that. So the Northern Hemisphere harvest is well underway for the, some of the winter cereals and spring cereals as well. The, the maize is a very important one, which, again, uh, that's probably one of the more critical ones at the moment in terms of the weather. Um, James, do you have anything to say about what harvest has been like so far um, down in the south? Yeah, so it was um, it was very touch and go to begin with, um, uh, and uh, you know we obviously had seen earlier this spring quite dry conditions, which left a fair amount of uncertainty as to how yields would actually play out. Um, uh, it, crops looked good overall, but you know until you get that header in there, you don't really know. Um, and uh, I think the early signs came when the sort of southern European harvest got going and uh, we started to see relatively good yields. Um, uh, if we go further afield to the US and actually you know, after a very dry uh, period out there um, at where crop conditions and vegetation density had fallen sharply, actually yields were coming in slightly better than expected. Um, uh, here in the UK, uh, what we're hearing from clients at the moment is uh, yields, uh, particularly from an early barley point of view, are better than expected, faring fairly well. You know, we're seeing above average yields, um, and um, and you know that that, that bodes well, uh, hopefully for the wheat. Um, although you know we have had this hot spell and uh, and and you know drier than than most farmers would have liked. So um, it is still early days, but the early signs look encouraging. That's good to hear. We also mentioned earlier about the world um, grain estimates of what's in stock. Could you just tell us a bit more about that, please, James? Yes, of course. So, um, you know, for, for, from a, we can't just isolate the the, the view just to the wheat. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, you know that the market is made up of a number of key commodities. Uh, so, the grains you're looking at: wheat, corn, and barley all of which are interchangeable to a degree into rations um, and also into the energy sector. But if you look at global stocks um, of, uh, of, of wheat initially, um, you are looking at this year uh, ending stocks forecast around about the 280 million ton levels. So that's about 290 million tons off, uh, sorry, 10 million tons off the 290, which we saw in the previous year. 
But in 2022-2023, um, that is expected to fall to around 267 million tonnes globally. So you know, if, if you consider that um, you know, the world's uh, production of wheat uh, is expected to be around 775 million tons. Um, you know, just the small changes in stocks um, uh, uh, can have quite a big impact on the uh, market sentiments. Um, and particularly when, as Julian mentioned, you've come off a few years of tightening stocks uh, around the world. Um, so the, the wheat is looking probably the most concerning, uh, but you know, that is offset to a degree by corn, which um, has seen global stocks rising um, quite substantially um, uh, in the past couple of seasons. I think stocks are tightening and something um, in terms of stocks use, the number of days that is available of supplies available to cover demand from stocks, that's fallen one and a half to two days in the last year. Uh, which doesn't sound that dramatic. But I think an important thing to realize is that it's actually quite small changes. Uh, it can be in the sort of few tens of millions of tons can make a huge difference between whether there is sufficient grain in the market and there's enough competition to keep prices at a certain level or whether certain buyers withdraw. And it's also the weather can very quickly add plus or minus 10, 20, 30 million tons to some of the crops that we're, that we're waiting on hearing from. And I think some people have don't fully realize that it's not necessary. You don't need immense shifts in supply and demand to actually have quite a big impact on the grain price, whether that's positive or, or negative. And so I think that's why obviously the next few weeks, certainly for the, for the wheat crop, is going to be critical just to see are those yields coming in at or above average. Uh, and then we'll Clearly, there's other crops coming a bit later in the year. Yeah, that's very interesting. We don't ever know what the harvest is going to be like until it's actually in the shed. So, could Julian, you give us a bit of an idea of what the current market in Scotland's looking at? Like, um, is the changes in how much is being planted, and how is it looking at the moment? Well, in contrast to England, where there was a bit of a shift back from winter to spring crops in Scotland, the the figure, the data we have at the moment suggests there's very little change in relatively um, a similar area of spring and winter crops to the year before. So if you take that as one thing, then actually what's probably more important this year is yields. Um, and we are obviously just, we're a bit behind England just to get a real handle on that. Um, so production, but you would probably argue that yes, crops are actually pretty good it has been a bit dry, but it's it, there's never been a completely uh, – there has been the odd rain. Um, it depends where you are in Scotland, of course. And it is generally cooler here. So we've always – you know, it's hard to say at the moment, but clearly years a bit like this, crops have been surprisingly – have yielded surprisingly well. Even things that are only kind of knee high have actually yielded reasonably well. Um, so you've probably got to assume we'll have average to possibly better yields, but not quite sure yet. I suppose the key thing for us is demand, um, local demand, because that really drives whether we trade alongside the, the, the grain prices more further south and across the UK, or whether we diverge. Um, and uh, well, a couple of critical things, which so for wheat, 
it's distilling demand and it's how competitive wheat is against imported maize. And that's, Scotland's done quite well recently because imported maize has been pretty expensive for distilling. That differential is just being decided at the moment as the maize crops are later uh, maturing crop. But as I say, so far that's been positive for Scotland because we have um, the, the cost of importing uh, grain for distilling has been quite high. Uh, and in the cereal, the barley market, well, there's, there's clearly feed uh, and then the malting. Okay. Um, how does Scotland and England, how do their yields go and inf- impact each other um, when they're grain marketing? I'm asking this because I don't have a clue if what happens in England, how much of an impact it has in Scotland and vice versa. The, the, the overall UK grain market, the baseline of whatever it is, is generally set in England because there's clearly a much bigger crop, particularly wheat. Um, so England might produce 14 odd million tonnes and Scotland might produce something around a million tonnes of wheat, let's say. So clearly when it comes to wheat, whatever happens in England is by far the dominant thing. Barley is a little bit different, particularly spring barley, because there's more of an even spread of production. But by and large, uh, if we're exporting, it's the English situation that will um, that will drive that. Now, it's how Scotland relates to that. If we've got a bigger crop than we expect and we don't have the demand, we may be a debt. We may actually resell it less than the English market. If we're a bit short and grains perhaps got to come up from England, we'll be at premium. And that 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 can vary from year to year. Traditionally, Scotland would be a little bit short of wheat and would have too much barley. Um, but that is actually shifting. That pattern has shifted, uh, and it's now one of the things that, that will fluctuate from year to year. Yeah, well, yeah. Julia makes a, a good point, uh, which is you know Scotland essentially looks to the UK, but at the same time, um, you know the UK would look to its larger market, which is the European market, and likewise the European market would look to the next largest market, which would be sort of Black Sea and US markets. So there's constantly um, uh, comparisons going on, and uh, it's due to uh, the main factor, which is the replaceability cost. Um, so, you know, that replaceability cost is ultimately made up of the import price, um, as well as the logistical costs, any sort of currency inf- impact, which uh, isn't the case, obviously, here between England and Scotland. But in the UK, essentially, what we look at from a pricing point of view is the European market and whether or not, you know, we are going to be an importer or an exporter. So, in a year where we're going to require imports, um, our price has to trade above uh, that of the European market in order to facilitate those imports. In a year where we require exports, our price trades below that. Um, uh, so uh, the, the early sign, obviously, here in the UK is coming from the south of England because harvest has begun um, more so than it has in Scotland. And from a barley point of view, from a malting point of view, what we've actually seen is the early indications on yields and quality look fairly good. And so premiums of malting barley have dropped from uh, around £90 a tonne to closer to £70 a tonne. So if you were looking at malting barley as available at X-Farm in Scotland, you're currently looking at about £290 a tonne. And... uh, and it's because the trade have seen these early signs from a, from a harvest point of view and gone, okay, 
well, no need to buy at these extremely high premiums. We're going to take a bit of a step back from this market and wait and see how the harvest progresses the further north it goes. Obviously, there's a risk to that because now you've seen this heat, heat wave, it could well have impacted uh, the quality and yields on the spring barleys. Um, uh, but you know, that's generally how that relationship tends to work um, between these different regions. Um, so when farmers are wanting to keep up to date on what the prices are currently doing, I know I tend to look at AHDB. Is there somewhere else that farmers should be looking at prices, whether on a local level or on a more global level? We, uh, yeah, you can start obviously by speaking to to, to the your merchants, um, uh, and uh, you're then going to get you know the price ultimately that they're willing to offer you. But um, yeah, you're know, looking at websites such as the HDB. Um, uh, you know, a, a bit of a plug here, but we also produce a daily market report, which is free, which gives uh, all the prices, um, not just here in the UK but around the world and, and in sterling, so we can make those comparisons. And, uh, and some highlights of, of the key factors which have driven prices um, that day. So that, that's actually a, a free report available on our website. Um, th- there's also numerous sort of free uh, websites which are producing um, delayed uh, futures prices as well. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, the, 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 there's plenty of, of prices around the place. The futures at the end are, are a very good source of transparent and um, clear information about the pricing in those markets. So that is always a good reference, but there can be quite a big variation between that and your local market. So obviously in the UK, we the HDB, you've got the corn returns. So they are uh, grain um, buyers are legally required to report uh, trades that have happened. So, they, so HDB give a good sort of benchmark as to what has been traded, um, but in, in local markets, and obviously, if you want to be more up to date, then um, obviously trade sources and uh, other sources such as um, CRM can provide much more sort of local and nuanced pricing. So, a combination of these is really what you need to to keep track of what's relevant to you. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Julian. We're we're seeing at the moment. Um, yeah, when when trades are happening, um, for example, in the centre of England the other day. Uh, we had a client selling, and, and wheat was that the difference in wheat prices between different buyers was you know, one offer was two hundred and seventy-two pounds a ton, the next offer was two hundred and fifty-eight pounds a ton, and that was to the same region. Um, uh, so you know the spreads in a volatile market like this are, are really, really wide and, and very much worth sort of speaking to multiple buyers when you're collecting prices. And just to say, just to add to that, yeah. I think watching the futures gives you an idea of what the trends are, but you've got to pick up the phone to actually sell it to somebody. <laughs> yeah. So talking about prices, um, what different options do farmers have um, when they come to sell their grain? Yeah, so um, and there's, there's plenty of options. Um, and obviously, it depends on where you're based and what grain you're, you're selling. Um, uh, but in, you know, there's, there's just the, your, your spot sale, which would be just selling grain for collection immediately or as soon as possible. Um, there's forward selling, uh, and that involves selling grain for a future delivery or collection date. Um, so you could be forward selling uh, the 2023 crop at the moment, and potentially even the 2024 crop if uh, the, the buyer would accept it. So um, you know, th- th- there is the ability there to manage risk and do some marketing a long way out. 
you can then also start to look at um, some of the, 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 the tools available. So you know, on, a, on a trade basis, a, a merchant basis, they might be um, a min-max contract uh, or a minimum price um, uh, uh, tool or a premium only. Um, and then you can also start to look at um, various hedging tools. So you can be using options, uh, put options, call options, um, uh, or, or you know, using futures in order to hedge risk as well. So there's, there's lots of ways and lots of tools which farmers have available to them um, in order to market their crop and, and ultimately manage the risk of these very volatile markets. The market, so we've been talking about how the market moves and the various things that might influence it at the moment and obviously going into the future, which farmers do need to be aware of and they do need to then find a market and, and a price for what they're growing. But I think before farmers get to that point, what they, they need to do some planning. Now, this can be quite simple, which is um, for the year ahead, what is your green marketing plan? and just to write it down. Uh, and it's not very common that farmers actually have a written down plan. I mean, it's becoming more common. Now, the important thing about planning isn't actually what you decide, it's the process itself. And so, and because it will change uh, as things have developed, but the most, so for, in terms of green marketing, there are some basics. What's your budget going forward? And of course, that's having to be adjusted. So for instance, wheat, uh, some typical figures we've looked at, you know, a year ago, you might be needing 140, 150 pounds for, 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 for typically for, say, wheat per ton to be, be covering your budget. That could easily be well over 200 pounds, 220 pounds going forward, just based on the cost of fertilizer, fuel, spare parts, everything else. So you need that basic information. What really do I kind of need to make the whole thing work? Um, then you've got cash flow. You've got timing issues. Yeah, I've got. You have to meet certain payments. You've got harvest coming in. You've got windows when you can sell. You've also got storage. You know, if I'm going to hold off and store, so you need to sort of plan that out and say, right, I need X amount of cash by November, Y by January, etc. And the other important thing then is to maybe have some triggers. So that is. Either something, if it goes above a certain level, I can say, yeah, there's a good premium there. I can take it. And you also need a few sort of slightly more emergency type triggers. Well, if it does drop below X by November, I'm going to have to, I need X amount of cash. So I will have to sell something. And then it gives you a bit of a band that you can work in. And, and that really gives you something to fall if you've got it written down you can review it but you know as you view the market and it can move quickly and be quite um unsettling for when you're watching it because you're also seeing your income going up and down but you can keep referencing your plan and say okay we're going to hold off a bit we don't need to sell any just now or actually it's getting close to our limit we do need to think about doing something in the next week or whatever it is so i think you know those two processes go together you know the the more immediate monitoring and, and, and working on the, on the pricing today or tomorrow and also be able to step back at times as well with a, with a plan. Yes, yeah, so I, I, really good point Julian made and particularly um, on uh, having target prices um, and even more so on having prices if you're a seller 
target prices on the downside, not just the upside. And, and quite often when I'm having conversations with farmers, you know, we'll be talking about prices and okay, I'm not going to sell until the price is at 320 pounds a ton. And, uh, you know, the market's been very bullish, for example, uh, and it's very easy to be bullish in a bullish market. Uh, but, you know, my first question is, okay, well, if this doesn't pan out as you expect or as you would like it to, um, uh, then yeah, what are you going to do? What's the contingency plan? Um, where's the downside trigger going to be? Um, and you know, we use this as a business in terms of our strategy a, a lot. Um, you know, for example, we used it most recently back in May when we saw this really uh, significant bull rally. Uh, prices have been going up and up. We saw them hit 360. Um, uh, nobody knew when it was going to stop. Uh, so the way we decided on when we were going to sell uh, was we put a, a sell target um, below the market, quite it was around twenty pounds below the market at the time, and said, "Okay, if the market corrects this much, and uh, and we hit that level, regardless of our view at the time, uh, we've already ridden a very very strong market. That's going to be our point at which we say, okay, we're going to sell another good chunk of this crop, and it just puts rules into the strategy, which is so important, particularly when there is so much going on as we've talked about from." politics to currency to to global supply and demand um uh, uh, you know all driving these these markets um uh, and then yeah that's before we even mention the weather just to follow up what james was saying is to have to put some of your own uh, benchmarks into the equation because you know a target that is just a higher price isn't really something you can work with you know you need to put some specifics in there that's definitely very good advice. Um, I think a lot of people I've heard of have said that they wished they'd gone and sold when it was up, um, but we seem to be the only only industry where people keep hoping it's going to go higher and they don't sell. Um, so if you're, a, if you're a farmer considering um, futures, um, when would you be considering doing them and what do you need to bear in mind uh, when you are selling futures? Well, firstly, I wouldn't advise any farmer to go and uh, trade futures unless they know what they're doing or have uh, good advice on the topic. Um, uh, uh, options is a slightly different scenario, and actually, you know, most farmers wouldn't trade futures. You know, a lot of merchants trade futures, a lot of um, uh, funds trade futures, but as a farmer in general, you would probably just look at the options market. And, uh, and the options market um, essentially is an insurance market. So it would it's based on the futures price. And obviously, the ex-farm price is based on the futures price. So uh, there's a relationship there. Um, and it allows you to take insurance against um, either falling prices. So if you haven't sold the crop, you can insure the risk that the price falls or rising prices. So if you have sold the crop because, for example, you needed storage space or you needed cash, then it allows you to stay in the market if prices continue to rise. Um, but in terms of uh, those options, there's often a number of different decisions which are made along the way. So you know, what strike price, uh, the expiry of the option, so, so how long you're going to hold that option for, what market, what contract. Um, so there's a number of different factors which which play into deciding on, on that insurance policy and whether or not it's the right time to use it. And if so, um, how you're going to implement it as part of a strategy. Um, yeah, so it's, it's good to go in there and understand it first and 
we actually do run a, an online academy. So there's a set of a suite of of tools on on our website um, within the academy where you can go and watch these videos and uh, understand more about how these work and, and look at various case studies um, from a farmer's point of view. I think we're really talking about forward forward pricing the crop. So the spot market is well understood. Phone up in the day, that's the price today. But looking forward, uh, there are various uh, ways of selling. And what they're all essentially setting to do is, is give a, either a firm price into the future or, um, or some sort of uh, backstop or range of pricing for those. So typically, so in terms of decision-making on the farm, uh, when you're growing, you plant the crop, as soon as the crop's in the ground, um, then the, the farmer has invested in the crop and if they haven't sold anything at all, they don't know what they're going to get for it. So we, that's the sort of starting position. What's, what, what approach could you take? We would typically uh, suggest various things to the farmer, but clearly uh, if you're investing in the crop um, and you're spending money, particularly at the moment where you're putting a very high outlay into the crop before, you know, a year or more before it's, you're actually going to be able to sell it, We've got incredibly high fertilizer prices. A lot of other costs are high at the moment too. And it is the biggest, one of the biggest concerns of farms at the moment is they are laying out on things uh, and not knowing what they're going to get to them or whether it's justified to pay, you know, six or 700 pounds for ammonium nitrate or, you know, such high prices. So a fairly straightforward approach to say, okay, I've got to buy fertilizer today for, and this is where we are today with 2023 uh, harvest crops going to the ground in a month or two. Well, sell some forward on in through whatever mechanism it is, possibly through a local uh, trader, um, get that covered off. So you have a known price for the grain that will pay for that input. And if you take that approach, you're probably going to be covering something like uh, a third or something of the of the, co the costs of growing the crop, uh, or maybe a bit more the way things are at the moment, third to half of, the, of growing the crop before. So that at least protects that. And then you can have a plan to sort of either spread the sales or, and the other practical thing clearly is only to sell forward what you're comfortable doing, given the state of whether you can actually harvest it uh, or whether weather intervenes. So uh, th that's really the role of forward selling. It allows you to, to justify certainly planting the crop, growing the crop. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Julian there. And um, yeah, it sort of goes back to having those rules in place and that structure uh, before you start deciding on whether or not you're going to market their crop. Um, and you know, for some people, the strategy is just made up on okay, well, I'm either bullish to the market or I'm bearish to the market, or I need cash or I can't store it. You know, it, it, it's quite simple. But if you go through this sort of checklist at the start, so you understand how much cash you need and when, and uh, how much risk you're exposed to. And, and yeah, as Julian said, the fertilizer point is, is, is a really key one and actually drove what, what was a very early sale from our point of view. You know, we don't normally sell this far out, but, you know, Back when farmers were purchasing their fertilizer for next year, um, uh, you know, even when they were buying it at six, seven hundred pounds a ton, um, with the grain prices as they were, there was still theoretically, um, you know, should the yield be reached, uh, a good margin there. And so, you know, we were saying 
sell enough of your grain forward, uh, firstly, that you're comfortable with doing so, but also that will cover um, the the fertilizer bill ultimately. And then you, know, you, you remove a lot of that risk, which the business is exposed to, which is very, very acute in a year like this, where fertilizer prices are so high and grain markets are so volatile. Um, uh, so yeah, and a really good idea to, to look at it from that point of view. And then, then you know, once you've got that basic sale in place, um, uh, you can build on that throughout the season. There's another benefit actually of knowing your own costs and how they relate to the forward market because you gives you puts you in the shoes of farmers around the world. So if, like James was saying, if you're looking forward to next harvest 2023, just a, ready to put plant crops fairly soon. If you can see a margin and it's looking quite good, great, plant, but then just be aware that that's encouraging farmers around the rest of the world to do the same. And equally, if those four prices aren't really looking like enough, it, uh, you've, it will get the your cogs whirring, thinking, well, really, what's that going to do to production next year? Will it have to adjust because we won't actually have enough? So I think, yeah, focus on what you can un- control yourself, your own costs, that that can actually give you a wee bit of an insight into the market as well. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, is there any other ways that farmers can try farmers can try and reduce the risk that they are carrying? I, I, from from a market point of view, um, then yeah, other than forward selling selling spots, um, you know, you then get into the realms of of uh, taking out um, contracts uh, uh, based on the area which you're producing here. Yeah very popular more growing popular in, in the rapeseed market for example um uh, so you know you're able to um uh, price a crop but if you don't produce it then you know you you aren't exposed to big default costs um uh, and then on top of that you know you've got the ability to 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 use options and insurance policies on prices um uh, which you know have always been around you know they've been around for hundreds of years and farmers have been able to trade them and they do so all around the world but they're probably not so widely used um, here in the UK. Uh, but you know, there's there's plenty of ways in which the risk can be mitigated. Uh, I think you know the first thing to do is understand all of those tools, and then at least you've got um, a good sort of suite of of tools available to you, uh, depending on the market situation. And you might not use them for a couple of seasons, but at least if you understand them. And you then go, okay, well, in this season, this is going to be the most suitable tool to use. And then um, uh, and then you can implement them as and when the market conditions um, dictate. Uh, then I think you're in a, in, a, in a much stronger position than somebody who is a, strictly on a policy, for example, of, of I will only sell once everything is in the shed or I will only sell um, uh, come May the following year uh, because that's when you know, I think the highest price is going to be. Um, uh, it, 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 everybody's risk appetite is very different uh, because they are ultimately very financially they're very different businesses. You know, you might have a, a tenanted farm uh, with a lot of debt versus a owner managed farm which has no cash flow issues and doesn't need to sell until the following May. The, the, the options available to both of those farms are the same in terms of marketing tools, but the way in which they apply those tools is going to be very very different. There's, there's another aspect which is actually pretty well understood by most farmers in practice, but obviously having a range of crops, and even if it's just one or two crops you're growing, to have a range of markets for them um, so that you have a few alternatives if quality is perhaps not quite what you wanted or if a particular market 
let's just say malting isn't as good as it should be or as you're expecting, you've got a fallback feed market, for for instance, or you've also got some alternatives, whether it's wheat, rapeseed, and other crops. So again, that's just, uh, and it, it, it's farmers do that obviously for the weather reasons as well, so that the, the harvest doesn't fall at the same time and various things like that. But it can be a very useful um, safety net in terms of, of just having a look at your cropping and, and just making sure you've got some alternatives, uh, alternative markets as well. Okay. So we've talked about selling forward. What happens if you don't fulfill your contract? I think it would it very much depends on the relationship which you've got with your with your merchants. Um, uh, so in, in some cases, you know, they might be willing to roll that shortfall forward into a future season. Um, uh, in other cases, it's as simple as the fact that you you know you haven't produced the crop which was contracted, and you have to pay the difference. Um, uh, you know, if the price has fallen, then fine. If it's risen, then you know you obviously got to stamp it up. So um, you know, it, it very much depends on on the contract terms and the relationships which you've got. Um, but but yeah, certainly something to consider. And I think it is an important, is a very important thing. Contracts. So farmers should understand their contracts. And they shouldn't sign them if they don't understand them. And if they need help, uh, whether that's their own advisors or whatever it is, or legal help, they really should. It's, it's money or time very well spent because, they, as James said, there's a whole range of contracts, different uh, implications. And I'd, I think we've all got to be extremely careful whenever we sign any contract um, and farmers are exactly the same. So it, it's always, it can be missed sometimes when people are busy, but it's something to really uh, make sure enough effort goes into making sure you know what you're signing. That's definitely very good advice. Um, harvest is currently underway. If there's a farmer who's not yet sold any of their grain for this season, what do you think they should be considering just now? It very much again depends on you know, the the business, and um, you know, there, there's no uh, silver bullets or right answer. But I think you know, going back to Julian's comments on on understanding your costs is the first place to start, and just remembering that yes, prices have fallen sharply uh, from the the very highs we've seen so far this season, but. I think it's worth bearing in mind that in many cases, a lot of farmers would have started selling a long, long way back before um, what is the key and overarching driver in this market now, that the invasion of Ukraine uh, was even a factor. And so therefore, even by selling now, you're still not in a bad position. Yes, it's not the high, but you know, you're never going to hit the high and you're certainly not going to hit the high with 100% of your crop. And so I think if, if there is still margin, and yeah, uh, uh, you know, and and you know, you realise that actually this is not a bad time to be selling um, from a price point of view. Take away the market sentiment of whether you're bullish or bearish. Um, it, 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 you know, I think that's the best way to approach approach that 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 question. Um, uh, but you know, there are plenty who haven't sold anything or have sold very little and are asking themselves uh, that, that very very question. And I always say, you know, it, it, it's ultimately down to understanding the risk which your business face and and the risk which is in the market at the moment and just to highlight a lot of that risk as we've covered is political and we haven't really discussed the 
the uh, potential for export corridors to reopen, which is a hot topic at the moment out of Ukraine. Um, there is negotiations underway about that and whether or not it happens or not is yet to be seen. But it's certainly a risk to these prices and could easily instigate prices falling lower. Um, uh, so I think that you know you need to understand that a lot of this market is political. That yes, you know it, it, it is a bullish market still, but there are factors in this market which nobody can predict at this stage. And uh, if you understand that your margin or what your cost of production is and what your margin is, and if it's still healthy, then I don't think you can go wrong looking to to start or or, or continue to make sales as and when uh, we see these spikes in prices, which you know we think will remain a fact factor of this market as volatility is going to remain very very high this season. I think if you've just on a practical thing, if the far, if a farmer happens to be sitting here with nothing really sold and just sort of wondering where to go, they and if they haven't done this already, it's just to whether it's on a piece of paper or a spreadsheet, just write down okay, what crops have I got? What expected yields am I uh, am I anticipating I'm going to receive? And what's the current value for those? Uh, well, first find out if uh, just what the current value for those might be to give you a sort of total and say okay. Obviously, as crops combines roll, you'll maybe get a better – well, you will get a better idea of what your actual yields are. So that's useful. You can update it then. And obviously, keep an eye on uh, – and the first thing I would do is go plus and minus – well, I did say 50, but maybe I might say plus or minus 100 on those prices and say, well, where does that leave the farm as a business? Um, and that will certainly give you an idea of – and on oil seeds, that could be plus or minus 200, 300. Um that should just give people open uh, their eyes that are not fully aware of, of what could happen um, or even. And so that helps people realize, okay, there's a lot at risk here at stake, plus and good and bad. So I think that's definitely a starting point. And obviously, obviously to add a bit more detail to that, if, there's a, if, there's, if, the, if the costs are known, you can start to actually have a, a more of a target price. But starting from scratch, I think just being aware of the possible swings to your own income in this current market, it would be a good start. I think just just look at the price as it is today. You know, we're talking about the futures trading at two hundred and seventy pounds a ton. As I said, you know, malting barley prices uh, nearly at three hundred pounds a ton. I, it is still uh, an unbelievable price, which nobody was expecting. Uh, six months, eight months, you know, it's definitely not 12 months ago when prices were already looking very high. And, you know, let's, let's face it, you know, these prices have come about off the back of one of the, you know, well, a, a horrendous humanitarian crisis in, in a key producing and exporting region, which was equally unpredictable. Um, and, um, and, you know, as unpredictable as that was, how it pans out is, is also the unknown. And, Yes, it could continue. Um, we could see uh, planting issues for the, for the autumn. Um, uh, we could see the exports remain blocked out of Ukraine. Um, uh, but you know, we don't have certainty on any of those at the moment. Um, equally, we could see things go the other way. Um, but the only certainty which you have now is today's price and what you can produce a crop at. Um, and and that I think is is key to making and starting with your decision making. I think that's excellent advice. Thank you both very much for joining us today. It has been very interesting and hopefully there's been a lot of good tips there which farmers can take away.
Thank you very much for joining this episode of CropCast. If you've enjoyed listening, please like, subscribe and follow our podcast available on the FAS channel. Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all of our contact details in the show notes below. You may also enjoy some of our other shows, such as Stock Talk, our monthly panel show providing timely advice on livestock management, or Thrill of the Hill, a monthly show featuring guest speakers who live and work in the Upland environment. Join us again on the 21st of September for our next episode of CropCast. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.